Well, we come to, or at least toward, the end of our series on fruitful farming as we've been looking at these virtues of a Christ follower. Let me ask you a couple of questions. How many of you have ever caved in and done something that you did not want to do? Anybody? I'm, I'm not talking about your kids talking you into riding a roller coaster or, or buying a new guinea pig. Guilty. That happened this past week in our home. That's a whole other story. I'm talking about something you knew would hurt the heart of God. You knew that potentially it might bring pain to you, but you did it anyway. Let me ask you another question, maybe the flip side. How many of you have regrettably not done something that you wanted to do? You, you longed to pray or maybe to come to church and you just, that morning it just did not line up for you to get, and you just kind of settled for inactivity. Maybe it was a witnessing opportunity and you said, this is a perfect chance for me to share the Lord. And you stood silent. Let me ask you a third question. How many of you have ever faced the situation of waiting for something, but you just couldn't wait? I, I mean, that immediate temptation just got you. Maybe it was temptation to spend money on something. Maybe it was a temptation to jump headlong into something. Well, all of these things really have one common virtue in mind and it's the virtue of self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit that's last on the list. We've come to that place in our text. A man named Fritz Rittenauer wrote a book called How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious. And he asked this question, what's your problem? Temper? Impatience? Self-control? Sex? Honesty? Your thought life? Pride? Laziness? Self-centeredness? He went on to say this, we all have our skeletons and they don't always stay in the closet. You want to do what, what's right, but you do wrong. You want to choose obedience, but you choose sin. Sometimes you'd almost swear that you are a split personality, a regular walking civil war waged within yourself. Church family, we all know this. It's obvious. Temptation to sin is very, very real. The struggle is real. But the reality is that we are called to self-control. Let me illustrate it with a simple video. If you guys would take just a moment and pay attention to the screens. Obviously, temptation is a very real deal that we have to deal with. They've done that test over the course of years at numerous times to see about delayed gratification. If somebody had self-control. You know, God calls us to holiness. I don't think we think of that much in our lives. God calls us to a standard of holiness. In Leviticus 11, it actually says, be holy as I am holy. Some of you may say, well, surely God doesn't really mean that. I mean, he can't expect that. I don't know about you, but as I hear that command to be holy, in my mind, I'm just flooded with fear and frustration. Fear because I say, I could never attain that. And if that really is the standard, then I could never please the Lord. And frustration because I, I want to try really hard, but that is what he's called us 
to do. And if we think about that notion that God's calling us to holiness, maybe we say, well, surely he would not hold us to that standard. I I heard it said this week, I read it in in one of the, the commentators that I was studying, God will no more release us from any of his commands than he will release himself from any of his promises. Think about that. God didn't say that as a suggestion. He said, be holy. And now, into the future, we'll, we'll spend some time talking about holiness. There's various as, uh, uh, sides to it. And, and as we think about it, there's positional holiness in Christ. We know we are made holy, but there's practical holiness. And when we think about practical holiness today, as we look at self-control, that's exactly what we're concerning ourselves with. And God has a part to play in this, and we have a part to play. When you begin to think about practical holiness, saying no to ungodliness, saying no to temptation and following after the Lord, it is important that we get this down in our hearts and our minds that you have an action because some of us would simply like to excuse ourselves from the process and just say, well, I I can't be holy. Only God is holy, so he'll work in me what he wants. But the reality for all of us is this. God has a part for us to play. I love the analogy that Jerry Bridges gives in his book on pursuing holiness. And here's what he said. It's like farming. And God will not do that which the farmer must do. And the farmer cannot do that which God must do. You see, God alone can bring life, but the farmer better plow the ground. The farmer better prepare the soil. The farmer better plant the seeds. Otherwise, the seeds that are sitting in the bag in the barn will not grow life. And the farmer will not reap a harvest of fruit. And you and I in our lives need to understand that God's desire in a practical way is that we grow by being surrendered to the Holy Spirit and that he grows this fruit of self-control in our lives. Here's a question for you before we move to our text today to illustrate this notion of self-control. How are you doing so far in this series? You see, if we're honest with ourselves, many times we read this as the fruits of the Spirit, and we say, well, I'm doing a little better at love, and I've been a little more joyful, but, but it says it's the fruit of the Spirit. These are not individual uh, attributes that we ought to seek after in our own power. Rather, we surrender ourselves to the Spirit of God, and this is the character quality that grows in our life. These are nine components of the Christ life. Christ embodied all of these, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, all born out of his life. And God does expect holiness from us. And so practical holiness comes in our lives as we live by his grace. Now, this is something that we need to see as background, fundamental to what we're talking about. We shouldn't desire holiness out of compulsion, or fear. We should desire holiness out of love for Jesus Christ. Oh, my friends, as we hear the song that the choir and Mary Laura sang earlier, the thought that my sin has been completely taken care of at the cross and the thought that he has prepared and reserved for us future in heaven with him ought to just rapture us to this place of exuberant love for him that says, I don't want anything that would come in between me and my Savior. I want my life to be completely consumed with the love of Jesus Christ. And I want my relationship with him to be preeminent over all things. It's his grace that enables us to obey him. 
Hear that once again. It is only by his grace that we are enabled to obey his commandments. And once we choose to obey, he infuses our obedience with true spiritual life. The word of the writer of scripture in Titus 2, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Jot that verse down somewhere, Titus 2, 11 through 13. It, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And so as I think about this notion of self-control, the, the focus of our lives is that we would deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. Let me give you one more passage that I'd like for you to turn to, and then we're going to read together our statement of affirmation and uh, focus on our text of the day. But Proverbs 25, 28. Proverbs 25, 28. Write that down somewhere because this is a descriptor of where your life would be if you did not follow with self-control. The writer of Proverbs says this, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Can you imagine the picture there of a city without walls that anyone can just come in and pillage and plunder all they want and yet the Bible says that is what a person who has no control of their own spirit is like. Their life is just open to the whims of the world. Have you ever thought about that in your own mind? What would life really be like if I didn't surrender to the Lord? If I simply had no walls like this city, what would my way of thinking lead to? My will, if I followed my impulses, if I just decided I was going to follow my whims. If you want to see that, turn on the news any given day. Because the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And we would lead ourselves in an unguarded way toward the desires of the flesh. See, this is what we've been talking about the whole time. You don't have to ask that question for very long and say, what would my life be like if it was unguarded, if it was unchecked? We've read it over and over again for the past nine weeks in Galatians chapter 5. The desires of the flesh are very clear and they are set against the things that God's Spirit is bringing into the life of the believer. And so as we look at this war that goes on, this civil war internally, as we think about this notion of our lives being um, at odds and, and denial of ourself and taking up our cross as being necessary, it, it brings to us a sense that if we're not careful, we'll become slaves to sin yet again, although Christ has set us free. So that brings us to our text for the morning. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to take an Old Testament story and illustrate together this idea of self-control. In fact, in a negative way, as we look at the story of Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4 should be easy to find, very first book of the Bible. Genesis, a book of firsts, many, many firsts. Here we see the very firstborn human, the son of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve fashioned by the hand of God, and now given to them through birth is a son named Cain. And then Abel, given. We see that in verses 2 and 3. But as we move forward in the text and we think about this story of these two brothers, perhaps you're very familiar with it, but I want us to look at it in light of the idea that God is calling us to live holy lives and to be self-controlled. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord 
of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard or favor for Abel and and for his offering. But for Cain, he had, and for his offering, he had no regard, no favor. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. In fact, it says that his face was downcast in several different translations. Now, church, we're not exactly sure why God was displeased with this offering, but what we can say with confident assurance is it was some act of disobedience. There was some act in which he had not followed the instruction of the Lord. Perhaps it was that God had called for a blood sacrifice. That was often for us uh, an understanding of the serious nature of sin. We don't know fully. We don't have the instruction. But we know that God was displeased with the offering of Cain and pleased with the offering of Abel. Cain brought, it says in verse 2, he was a tiller of the ground. And he brought uh, gatherings from his harvest, gathering from his garden. It may have been that he didn't bring his very best or his first. It says that Abel brought from his first fruits of his flock, the firstlings and the fat portions, the good portions. And so we don't know, but we can say with confidence there was disobedience. And God disregarded that and was not pleased with it, showed no favor. And Cain got angry. His countenance failed fell. He was very angry, in fact, it says. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to see four very simple things. Self-control is not a matter of self-will. Sometimes we take that phrase and we begin to think, well, I need to suck it up and I need to be stronger in my own mind. But the idea of self-control is a character issue and it's a fruit of the Spirit, so it grows. So I would say it's far more a perspective issue than a power issue. So I want to give you four very simple perspectives as we think about self-control. Number one, look out, pay attention, stay alert. Pay attention, stay alert. Cain got extremely angry that God was not pleased with his offering. His reaction immediately was anger. It says very angry. I think the New Testament has a a clear word for Cain and for you and me when we find ourselves in a place of anger. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be self-controlled and be alert. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. Do you recognize that we have an enemy? Hello, anybody? Yes, we have an enemy. And right now, he is wreaking havoc on this world system all around us. Evil just seems to prevail. He is dividing people along all kinds of lines, socioeconomic or racial lines. He is creating and and just breeding hatred in the hearts of men, a selfishness in the hearts of men. And we know that love must overcome all of that selfishness. But here, when I see the anger of Cain toward God, I see an unchecked heart, an unchecked attitude. He just gets mad, and we know that anger like that sometimes just leads to flying off the handle. But in his, in his unchecked state, we see that he needed to be looking out. Why would you say that, Brother Scott? Because it's usually not that very first impulse of anger, but it's unchecked anger over time. You, you think with me just for a moment, the loss of self-control results when we allow seemingly harmless actions or attitudes and habits to slowly take over. Unchecked anger is serious. 
If I just let it go in incremental bits over time, I'll be overwhelmed with a lack of self-control. Think about this. There's TV shows that demonstrate this. You can flip through the channels and you can see television shows like The Biggest Loser or Intervention or Till Debt Do Us Part. And you see the person on The Biggest Loser or the person that's facing an intervention and you say, they didn't wake up today and said, I think I'll become addicted to drugs. I think that I'll be, become addicted to food. No, there was a slow, unchecked reality in their life. And over time, it got to the point where they say, how did we get here? Uh, it doesn't matter if it's an alcoholic or a shopaholic. A lack of self-control doesn't just immediately start. It's about an unchecked attitude or action. And for you and for me, maybe, just maybe, you're dismissing this service already in this sermon because you're saying, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm fairly intact when it comes to food or alcohol or, or other issues. Maybe you're, you don't spend yourself into oblivion. But the reality is many of us live our lives just beneath the surface of any sense of godly control. Why? Because God's called us to a high standard, holiness. And if you and I are meeking out an existence and saying, well, I'm doing okay, then maybe we're not giving God the proper honor that we need to give him. You need to look out because Satan is laughing at the church. The church has become weak and anemic. Why? Because we are no longer holding the standard of holiness before a lost and dying world. And in our families, Men, you need to be the one that champions it and sets the pace and says, I will be for my family a, a demonstration of Christ-likeness. Ladies, in your home, you need to be the same way. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be alcoholism. It doesn't have to be an addiction to food. It can be all kinds of other unchecked attitudes. I know that many men struggle with the sin of lust, but there's a generation of women today that are reading all kinds of romance novels and they're, they're, they're just, because it's a, a little more subtle, the reality is it's unchecked in their lives and it's equally sinful. My, my heart's desire today is to help us as a church family to repent and seek God in holiness. But I want to warn you, and the very first one is a warning, look out, look out. We don't go base immediately. A.W. Tozer said that. He, he said a man doesn't suddenly go base. That means that we go to our base desires. It happens over time. And for you and for me, as we look into his life today, as we look into Cain and Abel, we would see that maybe, just maybe, we need to push the pause button in our own lives. That's the next thing I would tell you is to pause and reflect. James said it well in James 1, 19 and 20. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What's the common denominator there? Time and slow. <laughs> slow down. Maybe just maybe the busyness of the life that we have become accustomed to. We have instant access to information around the world. Breaking news on our phones even as we speak. You've probably gotten breaking news today even in this service of some sort of some activity that's happened somewhere else. And we find ourselves in this rushed life. And maybe, just maybe, if I'm going to have a sense of self-control, it's because I'll slow myself down and listen. Listen to the voice of God. 
Our middle daughter, Haley, has been at camp all summer, about 12 weeks worth she spent there, and they've not had cell phones, and, and we prayed for her often early. We were afraid that she would have withdrawals and die, but she actually didn't die. She's made it through, but she told me with tears in her eyes that she, she said the voice of God has become so much clearer without the clutter, without the noise. I think sometimes when we move the clutter out of our lives and centralize our minds and our focus and our hearts on the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden as we slow ourselves down and listen for him to speak, that self-control becomes easier. Because I said before, he's the one by his grace that gives us the power to say no to temptation. Look for unchecked areas of your life. Anger, greed, selfishness. You, you need to develop a long fuse, a reflective heart. Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, it says. I, I've given that as marital advice over and over again to young couples. I've said, you know, you ought to do all that you can to, to resolve issues before the sun goes down. Don't go to bed angry. And, and I've had people ask me in premarital counseling sessions, how's that worked for you and Stephanie? And I said, it's worked incredibly well the whole time. There were two or three stints where we stayed up for three weeks, but we didn't go to bed mad. Maybe you've been there. But it's wise to keep short accounts on those things and to keep our anger in check. Look out. Let's move forward in our text, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? And the bottom line is we know he was pouting. He was, he was frustrated with God because he had not gotten his way. And different people respond in anger in different ways. They may scream or shout or throw things or, or throw up obscene gestures, but some may just pout. You know, depression may be because of unchecked anger. I, I would venture a guess there are people in this room today that are facing some level, whether it's mild or it's very serious, uh, depression. And it's because of some place of unchecked anger in your heart. You were wounded at some point and you held on to that. And rather than lashing out, you internalized it. And what I'm saying to you is this. Self-control comes when we reflect on our lives. We begin to look at ourselves. We look out recognizing that there is an enemy. But the second thing I want you to see, don't just look out, look in. Search your heart. Ask, is there something in my heart that needs to be Addressed. I would say it this way, search and guard your heart. Search and guard your heart. In Proverbs 4.23, the Bible says, above all else. Listen to that. If the Bible says above all else, you might want to underline that one. Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. You see, God caused Cain here at least the opportunity to reflect on his life. Why are you so angry? Maybe you need to ask yourself that question. Why am I acting the way that I'm acting? Why am I out of control? Why is it that I have buttons that others can push? And you need to surrender those things, submit those things to the Lordship of Christ. Think about it. It's not that you didn't try harder at first. Sooner or later, our flesh will rise up. And here's what I want you to see out of this, as simply as I can make it. We have an enemy, so there's an outside influence, but we have this flesh that we live in. 
And it also is pushing us toward temptation. But we have to crucify that flesh and let Christ live in through us. You see, the, the, the idea is that the Bible is clear. We have the flesh, the world, and the devil all pushing. The world is pulling us toward sin. Our flesh leans toward sin. And the devil is pushing us toward sin. So we've got this constant barrage going this way. It is countercultural to be self-controlled. It is against the grain. And for you and for I, uh, for, for me to live surrendered to the Spirit of God, allowing Him to work in and through my life, I have to acknowledge that there's an enemy that wants to destroy me. I have to acknowledge that there is flesh within me that wants to push against God. God asked Cain the question, why are you so angry? Maybe today the Holy Spirit has used me in some way to help you begin to ask that question. And you need to search and guard your heart. Think about this. Misplaced anger is sinful and it creates heartache. And this isn't just about anger. But don't be surprised by your sin nature. Selfishness. When you respond or react in a greedy manner. It's because of your flesh. I heard a great illustration of this. There's another television show. I, I, got, I guess I need to stop using television shows as illustrations because y'all are going to think I just sit around and watch TV all the time. I actually don't watch a whole lot of TV. But, but there's a show called When Animals Attack. Have you ever seen that show? Here is this sweet Midwestern family. They're just as cute as they can be. And they just so happen to have a pet tiger. Okay, I I don't know where they got it. I don't know why they got it. But they got this pet tiger, Mango. And Mango is such a sweet kitty. And he eats at the table with them. And one-fourth of July, there's fireworks going off everywhere. And Mango decides he's going to bite Uncle Bob. And he just jumps on Uncle Bob's head. And he mangles him. And the interviews on the show are always the same. We've never, in our wildest dreams, imagined that he would do that. He's never acted that way before. He's a tiger. That's what he does for a living. He eats people, okay? He eats stuff. And our flesh pushes against God. Don't be surprised when your flesh does, but don't cave into it. Look out and then look into your own heart and say, I'm going to guard my heart against those things that would pull me away from God. And I'm going to do so out of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look out. Know that there's an enemy. Look in. Know your own heart. Number three, look up. Very simply, obey God's warnings. In verse 7, God warns Cain, if it would do well, if you do well, will not your counsel, uh, countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. See, God warned him and said, listen, there's a better way, Cain. You can follow after me. And if you follow after me, your countenance will be lifted. Your face will no longer be downcast. Some of you are struggling in pain and misery. And the only reason that we can nail down the pain, we can nail down the attitude, we can nail down the place you are is willful disobedience in your life over a long period of time. And the beauty is the only and simple remedy is turning to Jesus. If you would turn your life back to him today and say, Jesus, I surrender myself to you. I want your spirit to control me. When we talk about self-control, it's a character trait. It's a capacity that God gives us. Lost people can't have self-control. Oh, they can control some behaviors, but they can't change who they are internally. 
And when we get saved, we have a new capacity to say yes to God. For you and for me, we need to look out, we need to look in, we need to look up. And when we look up, we're obeying God. It's impossible to do that by yourself. It requires the Spirit. A couple of final thoughts here. When Ann Landers had national syndicated column, someone wrote to her and said these words. Dear Ann, I have a problem. I've been happily married for five years. We have two wonderful children. I sincerely love my wife and enjoy being with her. The problem is, I've been seeing another woman for the past several months, and I'm not sure what to do. I love both of them. What should I do? Signed, confused. P.S. Don't give me any of that morality stuff. Here's how Ann Landers answered. I appreciated this one. Dear confused, the only difference between animals and humans is morality. I suggest that you consult your local veterinarian. (laughs) If you throw out self-control, you miss it all. You live a life without boundaries and it will ultimately confuse you. Don't lose sight of this. God's more interested in our holiness than our happiness. And some of you are on a treadmill of seeking happiness. And if you would get off of that treadmill and say, I want to seek the Lord in holiness, then all of a sudden, deeper than any happiness of any experience you've ever had, God brings resounding, lasting joy. Some of us desperately need to live in joy and not Seeking after this. You're in a spiritual battle and the stakes are high. And so am I. And we need to be self-controlled. We need to be vigilant knowing that the enemy is coming after us. Knowing that our own flesh cries out against God. Look out, look in, look up. And lastly, look ahead. What do I mean by that? Consider the consequences. If we read on in verses 9 through 12. And for time's sake we'll stop there. What did Cain's anger unchecked lead to the murder of his brother let me ask you this what's going to result from your behavior my behavior you you say brother Scott this is a depressing message no I I think it's hopefully one of those wake up calls that allows us this privilege to know that we can be holy as he is holy by the power of the grace of God and his spirit Surrender fresh and new today. Begin to experience life in a whole different level. I don't want to be controlled by my anger. Last illustration. Henry Blackaby talked about one of his seminary professors. I've heard him often speak of him. And he talked about being self-controlled. And he said of himself, he said, this was one of the most godly men I'd ever known. And in class, he was telling, this professor was telling about his lack of control when he gets cut off by traffic. Some of you smirk and chuckle and smile because you're there too, I know. And he said, we as a class chuckled and smirked until we looked up and realized that he had tears streaming down his eyes. That he was ashamed and embarrassed that his action behind the wheel didn't honor the Lord Jesus Christ. So so here's what I say to us as a church family. Are there attitudes and actions in our hearts that don't please the Lord Jesus Christ that we need to confess and forsake? I think so. 
And as we do, we'll experience the richness of the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives. If you've never had any experience like I'm speaking of, you mean that God would give me joy in my life? I don't experience joy very often, Brother Scott. Maybe today you need to trust Jesus. Surrender your life to Him. And you can do that very easily. It's a matter of placing your faith in Him, trusting Him for what He's done for you. Our staff will be here at the front. We would love to share with you what it means to be saved, what it means to have a life with Christ. And this is a time of decision. Maybe you need to look into your heart. Perhaps over the last few minutes you've looked into your heart and you've said there are some unchecked areas that I needed to check on, that I needed to give up. And maybe you just need to come to the altar and confess those before the Lord. You let God have His way as we stand and sing a hymn of decision.